From the Grand Reading Room in the Nashville Public Library, this is Just Conversations, Nashville Reads How to Be an Anti-Racist, presented by the Metro Human Relations Commission. Hello and welcome to Just Conversations, where we're discussing how to be anti-racist. We're doing that in the amazing Grand Reading Room of the Nashville Public Library, which happens to be one of my favorite buildings in the city. It's so beautiful. And this conversation is going to be amazing. So thank you for joining us. And I've got some amazing people who are going to have this conversation with me as we discuss the role of media in the world of anti-racism. What is our role in this discussion? Well, to talk about it, I've got two amazing folks, one to my left, one to my right. I'm gonna start with ladies first. Please introduce yourself, Rachel. Hi, I'm Rachel Iacovone. I'm the All Things Considered host at WPLN News, the local NPR station here in Nashville. And to my right. I'm Patrick Rogers. I'm the editor-in-chief at the Nashville Scene, which is the free alternative weekly newspaper here in Nashville. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And again, thank you all for joining us for this conversation. Let's jump right into the book. We had the chapter white. And in that chapter, uh, we've got a gentleman who is stepping into an experience that he's not familiar with. He's on a mostly African-American uh, campus at a historically black uh, college university, FAMU. One of the things, and Patrick, you and I kind of talked about this a little bit, as we discuss how we um, exercise our opinions in society, it starts with our own experience. So talk to me about, you know, the gentleman in this book, he was living an experience that he'd not had before. How does that shape what you do every day in media when you're dealing with experiences maybe you hadn't dealt with before? Sure. Um yeah, I think that that's something that we in, in media and journalism carry into our work a lot is, is what our, our upbringing was, what, um, you know, what it is we're, we're accustomed to. Um, and Ibram Kendi in the book, as, as you mentioned, he uh, sort of steps onto a, a campus that's uh, different than, than his background has been. And that's something that's sort of important with representation in the media, I feel like. Um, uh, you know, a more diverse newsroom is a stronger newsroom. That's, that's what we uh, strive for at the scene. Um, it's something that historically, you know, we've unfortunately had a very white newsroom, even though our, our group of contributors is very diverse. Um, historically, uh, alternative weeklies and, and media in general has, has been awfully white. And I think that uh, part of the conversation is, um, is, is trying harder to find the voices that represent your community. Um, I think a newsroom, um, like any workplace should be reflective of what the community is like, right? Um, so that's something that we try to bear in mind with, with our coverage and the communities that we're, coverage, or we're covering and the folks we work with to do that coverage. Rachel, join in because you're with the radio, with, with WPLN here, and you all have had some pretty conscious conversations around um, socioeconomic issues, especially in race-related issues. So talk to me about um, what you see as the role of media in these discussions of anti-racism. Now we're in a, a, a ripe client for these discussions. Well, um, like you're alluding to, we've been having these conversations. I, I kind of went into public radio because I've always really appreciated that angle. But in particular right now, like after the recent protests, we started a series called Breaking Points. And we felt like a lot of media was doing the same thing of they were surprised that white people, it seemed like the first time were out on the streets protesting. And what made them, like what was the breaking point for them to go out there and protest? And uh, one of our reporters, Ambrielle Crutchfield, as a black woman was like, I'm 
I think it would be more interesting to hear about black people's experience and why did they take to the streets or what led up to that, you know, 10 years before, you know, when they were a teen or something, what was their breaking point? What was the moment? And giving the mic to black Nashvillians, I mean, was illuminating. People didn't realize it wasn't like a big frustrating racist incident, what they consider racism that's blatant in the grocery store or something. Oftentimes it was uh, a great example was a young woman who said that when she realized that her hair products were behind a lock and key, and that moment was really illuminating to her because her white friends could buy their hair products anywhere. Has this moment where we are in society right now so, um, I guess, racially aware, I mean, you can, you can taste it and feel it when you go out. Has this, how has this changed the way you view your reporting, your content? And, and has it changed any of your goals? Um, whether it's from hiring to assigning to coming up with, with anything. Because as you mentioned, there's a, there's a new awareness, I believe, that, that exists right now. Maybe some things that seem like was in, just in the heads of people of color, but now you see it and it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. Like how, how has, has what's going on right now changed what you do in the newsroom? Um, well, we had seen we're, we're a, a pretty small local outfit, um, but something we've always tried to do is, is cover what's relevant to the community and sort of localize national stories. And um, over the summer, particularly in June, with, uh, with a lot of the protests that were happening around police brutality and, uh, and, and racist policy, um, we found it sort of illuminating to just get in the streets and cover those protests and speak with the people organizing the protests, speak with the um, the people who, who were just a part of it. Um, and it was, it was really illuminating being at Legislative Plaza while, um, while several protesters were, were camped out there for a matter of a couple of months just to hear um, not just what their sort of broader goals were, but what the day-to-day -day struggle was like. And amid a pandemic, um, you see so much more how uh, inequality affects people of color um, and um, so, so what we try to do, you know, we have limited resources. We're a pretty small team. Um, so what we just try to do is, is, is get out amongst those, those people in that community and ask them directly and, and just say, you know, what are your goals here and, and how can we, you know, illuminate them and how can we, you know, amplify your voices? That's how we try to do it. Well, you mentioned something, um, going out to people and asking them, you know, how can we really give you a space, right? Um, let me ask you this, because in the book, um, there's, there's a quote that's referenced that racist ideas love believers. And we're talking about believers versus thinkers. And we're very much in an era right now where someone says something and they'll, it's, it's like it's Bible, right? Have you found yourself, Rachel, challenged with, and I know I have, I'm a reporter as well at uh, Fox 17 here. Have you found yourself challenged with when you hear information that may not necessarily be fact, is presented as fact, may not be true, but you've got to, as a journalist, you've got to discern the truth, right? But then because of the climate we're in, that sometimes, do you feel like maybe that kind of puts you into the conversation? versus being a fact checker, and how do you handle that? Because I mean, media gets um, a bad rap, let's be honest uh, about it. It's a, a hard one, right? Um, 
I would say that uh, an example is COVID. You know, uh, we were just talking about this right before we came out here. And um, the things that are facts, you know, are not being treated as it. And it's disproportionately affecting people of color. I think when you're saying, how does it, how do I get added to the conversation almost in that? And we've been told for so long, like report the story, don't become the story. And uh, the hard part is like, I'm Latina and I've been, like uh, keeping all of the COVID data for the state. And when you look at our population in the state, it's 6%. And at one point we were making up one in five cases. So there was even like on the back end a conversation of, can I say we make up, you know, one fifth of conversations or do I need to remove myself from it and say Hispanics in Nashville or in Tennessee, or um, can I say Latinos and say we, like even the word choices that we use kind of out myself as one of this group. And if I'm part of this group, will people accuse that of not being a fact, even though it is? Is that kind of affecting, and let me ask you, is that kind of affecting, or in what way does it affect the way that your journalists are reporting? Because we've got to, as journalists, that's what we do. We have to challenge, you know, information or reveal certain information, but at the same time, we can't be the story. Right. We've got to just clear it and clean it up. Mm -hmm. But we're, this is a different era right now. Yeah, it's difficult. And, and, and what I do um, with alternative weeklies, historically we have a lot of um, opinion. We're, we're historically sort of progressive. Uh, um, so we do cover news from that sort of vantage. Um, but yeah, it's difficult as, as, as Rachel pointed out, um, you know, sometimes you encounter folks who have preconceived notions about media or um, what the, uh, you know, what your motive might be. Whereas I think most journalists would agree that our motive is to uh, <clears throat> illuminate stories that we think affect our community and do it effectively and do it accurately and do it well. Um, but there is a lot of sort of more and more feedback, particularly online with people who don't trust uh, media as, as, a, as, as an institution, unfortunately. So that is something we kind of have to um, deal with pretty regularly, I think. There's another example um, in the book where they were, um, they were protesting the outcome of the Florida uh, vote count there with, in the presidential race with Al Gore. There were many students, if you all recall, who um, had expressed concern about not being able to vote, not getting their ballot, and, and not getting the outcome that they had wanted. Um, and, and we saw then President Bush become our news president there. And one of the things they talked about was the way the media shared this story, the way the media really characterized the emotion and the feeling behind the protest and the feelings. And, and we're kind of in that era right now where we've got people who are protesting. And there is a disconnect, I believe, in the community between those who are protesting and those who um, see the opposite side of it. I just feel like there's a conversation that's not happening that could. Um, and, and Dr. King said, you know, protest is, is the voice of the unheard. So let me ask you, as the media, there is, there's the perception of a victim. And the book talks about how media can often um, really protect or create a victim in a situation. But again, we have to stay out of it. 
How have you all been able to tell the story of what's happening right now in the era of George Floyd and, you know, Breonna Taylor without um, standing on the side of the victim group, but telling the story? Well, I think sometimes it's as simple as uh, the facts speak for themselves. Black and brown people are, are uh, disproportionately affected by police violence. That's just the way it is, the same way that, um, you know, as Rachel pointed out, um, uh, Latinx people make up a smaller percentage of the population yet are more affected by COVID. That's because of, you know, the resources those communities aren't getting. So I think usually if you just imbue your coverage with, with these straight facts, it, it's not really about, well, this person is, is the victim because, you know, we, we say so. It's really quite simply um, um, society has uh, put people of color at a disadvantage in, in numerous ways. And I think if your coverage just reflects that and is true to the facts, then hopefully people, uh, you know, who are reading in good faith and, and trust journalists as, as sources of these facts um, can see that it's just as, it's, it's pretty straight ahead. Um, we don't have to cast somebody as a victim. Interesting. Just present the information as it right. is, let folks decide. Yeah. Which is what we're supposed to do anyway, right? Right, right. Although we don't always get credit for doing that. <laughs> Rachel, your thoughts about that? I would say I completely agree. I would say, especially with public radio, it's like, here's the facts, so you guys make up your own mind. Um, so we don't have any commentary on anything. Unfortunately, I would say sometimes we don't have an op-ed section or something. So when we have a diverse newsroom, people who have all these opinions can't really be as upfront about it, but by presenting just the facts, hopefully someone can come to the same conclusion. Having said that, if you're only focusing on the kind of inequalities that we're facing, then you aren't seeing all the happy moments. Like everyone's having a, a good life despite these things. And, and when we focus on say black joy has been like a, a really a common quote this whole time we've been saying like where are the stories about black joy not just black victimhood and when we like before the protest when we were saying how can we find these in nashville it kind of went on the back burner a little bit so it took maybe this national reckoning and seeing more of the hurt to realize that people are full people and we want to see their whole lives not just their hurt but what is their job like, their family like? So where do they find happiness, especially maybe right now? In, in this time right now, um, what have you all found most challenging, especially when we're in the era of fake news, we're in the era of a lot of opinion platforms. And so it's maybe kind of hard to fish in there and see, you know, where, where's the unbiased, clear line, you know, journalism. I mean, we're, we're, we're in, in an era where the media is easily the victim. I mean, not the victim, but, but you know, the villain. And it's so easy to be attacked. How have you all been dealing with that? It's tough. I think that um, social media has kind of given everybody a platform. And while that's wonderful in a lot of ways, um, and a lot of people who maybe, um, whose voices weren't being heard now um, can form communities online, and that's wonderful. Um, it also creates a lot of uh, signal noise um, when you know and when everybody has a platform well why should I listen to you right um, I've, I've been at the scene for about 12 and a half years and even in that short amount of time it's changed from um, well you know this person is a local journalist I should take their word for it um, and understand that they're not you know practicing uh, you know in, in bad faith um, more and more people and 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 
more and more um, distrust and more and more message boards and Facebook groups and, and trolls and bad actors and that sort of thing, uh, it, it makes it difficult. It makes media literacy difficult for people who maybe um, didn't, didn't uh, um, have the advantage of um, you know, studying journalism or, or whatever it may be. People of my parents' generation who uh, might forward me an email and I say, well, what's the source behind this? And like, well, you know, Freedom Patriot 1776 on <laughs> Facebook or whatever. So I know, I understand that it's difficult for people. I think that is something that um, I think a lot of the uh, um, responsibility does fall on, on us to, to help folks understand media literacy. But that, that's, a, that's a very tricky thing. What about you, Rachel? How have you dealt with that? Especially as one, you know, with, with your show and, and then, you know, with Breaking Points, you all are, you know, highlighting uh, a people, an issue. And then I, I imagine you've gotten some attacks for that or, or some criticism. Thankfully, I don't see it much. It seems like our listeners end up going to uh, email. So it goes to someone else who's not me. But the pushback we do get, I think, sometimes is why are you allowing a member of this group to tell that story, um, which is still a white-focused narrative that they want someone white to tell them about the, a person of color's experience, because maybe that's the voice that they're used to hearing. And public radio has definitely diversified since I joined it, not just Nashville Public Radio, but kind of all the stations. And as they become more aware of it, you hear different voices on air and it kind of forces people, if you're still listening to us, you're going to hear people from different backgrounds with different accents and because of that, it's kind of shifted even our storytelling, of course, what stories we pick it totally depend, you know. Say, um, we might be able to avoid bias by giving just the facts as we were saying, but we all have different experiences, which is a, a bias in itself. So. I think it's a good thing often. The more diverse it's gotten, the more women, the more people of color we have in a newsroom, the totally different stories we have. Like I'm thinking of a story we did on black doulas locally and how the like uh, maternal mortality rate is so high, especially for black women and for people of color in general uh, above white women for sure. And so focusing it on women who are knowing that and then applying that in the community and within their own community telling you how to not die while having a child, you know? Those types of stories we probably wouldn't have approached without someone just being, even having one toe in that community, you then have a personal connection. Let me ask you, Patrick, as, as editor-in-chief uh, over at the scene, what is the role of media in when we have discussions around racism? when we have discussions around um, police officer killings, around evictions disproportionately affecting communities of color, when we've got, uh, did a story uh, just yesterday in Metro schools, we're looking, and it's really a, a story across the country, when we're looking at the education inequity that overwhelmingly impacts communities of color. What's the role of media in that large discussion? It's a big question, but I think um, one thing that's important is um, sort of uh, what I sometimes call drumbeat reporting is, is sticking with a story. Um, I think it's human nature to sort of uh, our attention moves on. Um, I think that um, 
you know, as we were discussing earlier with social media and maybe cable news and that sort of thing, people kind of consume news in news cycles, right? So I think something that's important, that's a responsibility of the media is to, you know, well, with the George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor inspired protests over the summer, um, those deep systemic issues that brought those protests about, they haven't gone away. Um, and so I think it's important to you know, return to the well, to keep doing those stories about, in, in that instance, police brutality or, or evictions or COVID affecting communities of color more. Um, it's important to sort of uh, give your readership a regular diet of those stories and not say, well, we covered that in June or we covered that in August. Um, it's important to say, well, okay, what has changed? Has anything changed? What can change? Uh, so I think that's sort of how I see our little tiny corner of media is, is staying on those stories. Mm -hmm. And Rachel, just before we wrap, you want to take a bite at that, what, what our role is in, in this larger discussion? Um, I mean, thinking about just this chapter, like you alluded to with the FAMU and how media kind of covered that. I mean, I grew up in Florida. I grew up with that media perception and it definitely did shift, I think, how people thought about it. And I think knowing that, I have been really aware as a journalist this whole time of how much power we have. So we need to be really careful about what we're centering in the story. The, the victimization should not be the immediate goal. I mean, it's data-driven, so this is a very analytical side of it, but an easy way, I know a lot of newsrooms, including ours, have just been keeping track of your sourcing. So whose voices are we hearing and what stories are we hearing them on? Are we only hearing black voices when we're talking about evictions, you know? Are we talking about business stories and it's just a business opening like any other white-centered story we would have? Great, so keeping track of that, I think has made our reporters way more aware when they're going in the field of, maybe not just talking to white men for every story. Okay. Well, thank you all both for your input, your insight, and what you do uh, every day in this world of media. And we wanna thank you all for joining us for this conversation as well. If you would like more info and more videos, you can visit us at justconversations.org, but don't go anywhere. Coming up next, we've got another discussion, chapter 11 black. We hope to see you there. Everyone have a good one. Just Conversations is presented by the Metro Nashville Human Relations Commission. Executive producers Sarah Imran, Mark Etherly, Barbara Gunlardi, and Bob Farisi. Directed by Cooper Smith and produced by Alex Bennett, Caroline Pace, and Cooper Smith. Special thanks to the Nashville Public Library, Jenna Schmid, and Mark Crowder. For more information and more episodes, visit JustConversations.org. Follow us on Twitter at JustConversate, on Instagram at JustConversaciones, or on Facebook at JustConversate.